I wanted to read a couple of passages today, and I really am going to speak from the scriptures today. That's a rare thing in church today, just to speak from the scriptures, but I'm going to do it. And I would love for you to read with me as we go through the word. I'm going to be in the book of Genesis. I'm also going to go to Hebrews. And so if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, um, I would appreciate that. And Second Peter, I'm going to go to Second Peter as well. Um, and I'm just going to talk to you from my heart this morning. Uh, I feel very hard pressed. Um, I don't understand it. Russell was coming into church this morning and he's, and he's just talking and we're talking. And I just said, I can't, I can't really explain what's going on in my spirit today. Um, I appreciate this worship because I just feel very desperate for God. And, you know, if your kids are with you in service, just please, you know, try to keep them still and behaved. And because I believe this word is important. And um, I'm not by any means trying to put on with you. I want to pastor you this morning. Um, I was wondering what Noah must have felt like when he was building the ark. Knowing that it was almost completed. And nobody repented. Nobody and the only people he had with him on the ark was his family. And I, I think about he preached for decades. I think maybe 120 years he preached. He was a preacher of righteousness. And nobody took him serious. Nobody listened. They just made fun of it. And, you know, I think about what it must have been like for those people beating on that ark to get in. And it was too late. But today I was just thinking about, I wonder what Noah was feeling like that last day. I wonder what he was feeling like for the people, for the masses that were about to die. Because they never took the word of God seriously. And they didn't take the reality of God's coming judgment seriously. And I thought about the passage in Thessalonians where Paul talks about the rapture of the church and he says that you did not love the truth that you might be saved. And as a result of that, God, believe it or not, in this modern day, but that's what the Bible says, God sent a lying spirit to people who heard the truth, but they didn't love it. And he sent them a lying spirit so that they would believe the law. And I wonder today, if God is raising up voices who are speaking the truth, they're not speaking a political truth. They're not speaking about, hey, when we get this new candidate, you know, or whatever, a particular politician gets in office, everything's going to be answered. But there, there's a truth that is coming out of the heart of God in our world today. And it seems like the churches, for the most part, are unmoved, not aware, not really taking this seriously. And I'm not saying that about you guys here. I'm not trying to, you know, put my finger in anybody's face. I feel it myself. I'm, I woke up this morning at 2.30 and I was just like, I couldn't go to sleep. And I just, 
You know, I'm not a holy person. I'm not saying it for that reason, but I just couldn't sleep. And I was just like, I, I'm, I'm just trying to sit up and and just pray and talk to God. And I felt so oppressed with my own sin, the, own, my own, the darkness of my own heart. And when I came into church today, it was like, man, I really am desperate for him. I'm very desperate for Jesus. I'm very desperate for his relationship in my life. My heart is yearning for him and is longing for him. And when I come into the church and I maybe I'm in the altars or I'm kneeling at the altar, you know, and you just say, oh, how he loves Jesus. You know, I'm like, if you only knew what my prayer was, you know, it's, it's like Jesus help me to love you because I don't love you like you should be loved by me. And I'm like, I'm desperate for him. I need your blood. I need you to wash me. I need your strength. I need to be heavenly minded and not minding about the things of this world because I'm just like you. I come up here and I I have a word to preach today and I have a message to preach today. And, and, and you know, it's like I'm not standing right down at you like I've got it all together. And I'm just saying that, you know, to let you know, I just feel hard pressed today. And I do think about Noah and what he must have felt like when he knew that. The last part of the ark was finished the night before. And he was just like, nobody came. Nobody understood. Nobody listened. Nobody. There's nobody here but me and my family. They're all going to die, you know. And and if there's one thing that is my heart is so burdened and diligent and in love with, it is you, this church, you people. And I want to pastor you. I want to nurture you in God's word today. And I just appeal to you to be people of faith. Do the word of God. Just do the word of God. And I will strive to do the word of God with you by faith, right? Trusting in the power of God's grace to give us the strength and the ability to serve him and to walk uprightly and pleasing to him in this hour that we live. Because I think the last part of the ark is almost finished. And it could be the night before. And our Lord will come. And I just want us to all meet him. The young people. The old people. The religious people. The people who think they're right with God. But they're not. And when God comes back and he leaves you out. And you. I don't understand God. And he said well we never knew each other. We never knew each other. I was in the altar this morning just praying. God know me. Whatever it takes for you to know me. Know me. Whatever it takes, because I just want him to know me. I want to be so close to him. So I come to you this morning and I just want to share this with you. I'm going to read scriptures with you today. And if you don't like the Bible, you're probably in the wrong place. Because I love the word of God and it speaks for itself. And so this is in Genesis 12 and it begins. And we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I believe that's what the Lord said to us. Come away to him. Forsake all. Take up your cross and follow me. Right? And many of you did. You took up your cross to follow Jesus Christ. And you're going after him. And the Bible says this in verse 2. I will make of you a great nation. And I just love these I wills of God in verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation. You're not going to do that, Abram, but I'm going to do that for you. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. 
And I will bless them that bless you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed. And I want you to understand just in this initial relationship that Abraham has with God. I just want you to see this exchange. And the exchange of this is so beautiful because what God is setting before Abraham are these blessings. I will make you. I will bless you. I will bless them that bless you. And as a result of this, Abraham leaves everything to follow God. And I think it is beautiful because what you're going to see and what I hope you see from this is how does God, if the heart of man is what God wants, if God wants your heart, it's not that God, I want you to go to church or I want you to tithe. No, that's, if God gets your heart, he's got your church life and he's got your money. If God's got your heart, all right? So those other things don't matter. But if God can get your heart, so how does he get your heart? How does God get you to leave your old friends? How does God get you to leave your sins? How does God get you to leave the things that are holding you back from him? How does he do it? And some people might think that God comes and he does it with the threat of hell. And if we can save some people by fear out of the fire, save the brands that are burning, then so be it. Save them that way. But the primary way that God does and works in order to gain people's hearts and people's affection is that he offers them the greatest thing that he can offer them. Himself. I'll give you me. I'll give you all that I am. And it was like Abraham's like, I'm coming. I'm going to leave and I'm going to follow you because you're the one that's going to make me great and you're going to bless me and you're going to bless those that bless me. And you begin to see something here. And I want, I want to focus a lot today on different things. But one thing I want to keep in your mind and in your spirit is the altar. And the Bible says that Abraham departs and he goes with Sarah's wife. And it says in verse 6, they pass through this land to the place of Sechem. Morah and Canaanite was then in the land. And verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, Unto your seed will I give this land and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared to him. Noah was the first place in the Bible we find a man building an altar. And if you remember what I said last week, Noah built altars before the flood ever came. And he worshipped God and he prayed to God in those altars. And then the flood came and everything was destroyed. And Noah was safe in the ark. And when he gets off of the ark and he leaves the ark, he doesn't build an altar. He builds a vineyard and he gets drunk. And one of his sons becomes greatly cursed as a result of his son's sin and his drunkenness. And I'm going to just say this to us. It is so important that we have an altar in our life. And I want you to understand, as you're about to read just a few passages of Scripture, the, the altar has been hijacked by Satan and it has been hijacked by religion. And a lot of people, they go to church and you've been to church in your life and you've seen the altar and you think the altar is a place where sinners go to repent. Or maybe lost people go to get saved. Or maybe backsliders go to get their life right with God. And, that, and that's just, okay, if, that, if, if that's fitting, then praise God for that. But the real place of the altar was this man of God who's blessed with God. And he moves around and wherever he moves, he builds an altar. And I was looking up that word in the Hebrew, what the altar means, and it means an altar. And so it's, it's just a place that, that Abraham builds. It's, it's a separate place. It's a distinct place. It's an isolated place. And that was his prayer closet, if you will. 
And that's where Abraham would go and he would call upon the Lord. He wasn't going because he was a sinner. And he wasn't going because he was a backslider. He was going because he was a friend of God and God was his friend. And he met God and he wanted to be close with God. And he had this with the Lord. And, you know, nobody taught him this. It just came out of his spirit. And I, and I would pray to God that for all of us here that we would have an altar. I would pray that we would be humble enough and in love with God enough that we wouldn't be ashamed to be in an altar. That daddies in here would not be so ashamed of, of, of worshiping God publicly and openly that your children could not see you bowed down before God in an altar. How beautiful would that be? Or grandfathers bowed down to God in an altar in front of a church where everybody's watching you and people are thinking things. Oh, I wonder what kind of sin they got or what a holy man. Let them think what they want. It's not there for you, for them. It's you, it's you and God and you're calling on the Lord and it's just powerful and it's, it's what men of God did. And so in verse seven, he said he built an altar and he removed from there in verse eight unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and he pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, hey, on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. And that was the place of the altar. It was a place where men went to call upon the name of the Lord. It was their place. It was, it was the intersection, if you will, of heaven and earth where a men would go before God. Now, we have our altar now, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is the cross that Jesus Christ died on. That was the real intersection of heaven and earth. And we have no other altar. And, and that, that is it. We go to God through Jesus Christ. But there are places that we go. There are isolated spots. This is my place. This is where God and I get alone and I call on the name of the Lord. And I'm alone with God and I'm praying with God and I'm seeking the Lord. Then you come into chapter 13 and it says, Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had with him and Lot with him into the south. Abram was very rich in cattle, silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Now in chapter 12, he was pitched near Bethel. But in chapter 13, he is pitching his tent even to Bethel. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Hai. Unto the place of the altar. This was his place. He was returning back to that altar. Which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. It's beautiful. Verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. You don't ever read of an altar with Lot. He's a righteous man. He's a a godly man, but there's no altar in his life. And it's pretty devastating what happens with his family. Abraham's family goes on to be blessed. They become the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a lot of problems in their home and in their families as the generations go on. But nonetheless, you have these three stalwarts, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're blessed of God. And the blessing of God continues through them. And the Messiah will come. But you have no altar with Lot. And it's devastating what happens. Because even though Lot was righteous and he escaped the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, his wife didn't. His his wife didn't. Whatever his life was, whatever his righteous life was, it wasn't strong enough to impress his wife to follow God all the way. His daughters did. Not all of his children did. Not all of his children escaped Sodom. Some of his children and his sons-in-laws died in Sodom under the judgment of God. They could have escaped, but they didn't because 
They didn't take Lot seriously. He just didn't have a lot of respect. He was a righteous man, though. And it's horrible what happens because after they escape, his daughters basically get him drunk and then they have a sexual relationship with him and they both become pregnant by their own dad. Righteous man, no altar. Look at our generation. Look at our society. Don't shield this. Don't dodge. Don't let it bounce off. This is our country and our nation. We got boys and girls today that are confused as to whether they're boys and girls. We have people in our Congress that are trying to legalize pedophilia. We've got horrible things going on in our nation. This is us. And for the most part, we have churches all over the nation, but no altars. No men and women calling on God and calling on the name of the Lord. Children watch dads go to church. They watch dads drop them off for church. But not the intimate worship of God where there's, there's a God who just astounds me and wows me. That I just want to fall before him. Because he's so great and he's so mighty and he moves my heart. And so we have a lot of problems in our country. We've got a lot of churches in our country. We've got a lot of righteous people in our country. We don't have a lot of altars in our country. But Abraham did. And then Lot, in verse 10, he lifted up his eyes and he beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you come unto Zor. So it had to be beautiful. I mean, this is the land of opportunity. That's basically it. Lot was not looking for sin. He was not looking for bar rooms and strip clubs. He's looking for a way to make a living. He's looking for a way to provide for his family. And as he, as he just scopes out the land in every direction, you cannot help. Who wouldn't? This looks like the Garden of Eden. A man can do well there. This is a land that is sufficient to take care of my herds and my cattle. This is a land where I can build my crops and it will sustain my family. I will have opportunity here. I will do good here. There's no sin in that. He wasn't looking for sin. But he has no altar. And so he sees this and it looks beautiful. Then Lot chose him for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one to the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said to Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, and I just love this, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, North, south, east, and west, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it, and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall your seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it to you. And Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. And that's one of the consistent things that you see in Abraham's life is an altar. Now, let's not forget one of our main desires here today. And I believe that one of the main desires in the heart of God is how can I win your heart? 
How can I get your, your heart to love me? How can I get your heart to follow me? How can I get you to stop being church people and being Jesus people? How can I do that? And how does God draw the heart away from the world and to himself? How does he do it? And so you begin to see this because he engages this man named Abram into a relationship because God wants to build a nation through which he can bring a Messiah. And so God chooses this man, Abram, and he begins to appeal to this man, I want you to follow me and I'm going to do these things in your life. I'm going to make you great and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And if you continue to follow me, if you look, I will give you all of the land on the north, south, east and west. I will give it to you and I will give it to you. God is making all of these lavish promises to this man. And no doubt God is real to him and he believes that God can do it. So he continues to follow God. And so God puts, God does not put these threats behind him or in front of him. You better do this or else. But God is putting these beautiful promises out there. These wonderful things that I want to do for you and I want to give you. And they appeal to him. Matter of fact, Hebrews says that Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And that's what he was looking for and that's what he was after. And so stay with me because God has somewhere he's going with this. God offers to us heaven, doesn't he? God offers to us eternal life. God offers to us this life on earth, which is a vapor. Filled with abuse and hatred and betrayal and gossip and shame and corruption and fear. And that's what we live in. But thank God it's a vapor. And it's soon over. And then we step into paradise, heaven, where there's no sin and there's no death and there's no betrayals and there's no murders and there's no molestation and there's no homeless and there's no disease and there's no starvation and there's no catastrophes and there's no natural disasters and we're going to live forever and ever and ever with God. And it says, oh God, that sounds great. And the alternative is hell and all of its destruction and its eternal torment. I said, we don't want that, but God is offering me heaven and eternal life and health and blessing and I'll never get sick and I'll never cry again and I'll never suffer. Oh God, this is so great. I want it. But wait a minute. God's after something. And these things get our attention. But he's after something. So stay with me. So I want you to notice this. We read in chapter 13. That Abraham went to Bethel. And what's the significance of that? Keep your place here. And I just want you to turn a few chapters over to chapter 28. And I want you to see an encounter that Abraham's son had. And in Genesis 28, verse 11, it says, Jacob lighted upon a certain place and he tarried there all night. Because the sun was set and he took the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows. And he lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land whereon you lie, to you will I give it, and to your seed 
and your seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west, the east, north, south. And in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There's God again putting blessings before him. And behold, I am with you and will keep you in all places whither thou goest and will bring you again into this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and he said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Verse 19 says, he called the name of that place Bethel. In verse 20, Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will give me and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on. It's things that I want. I want God to bless me with this and I want God to bless me with that. And you know what God says to Jacob? Okay. I'll give you those things. And God said that to you. Okay. I'll bless you with those things. And he says, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which could represent an altar, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you shall give me, I will surely give the tenth unto you. And God's beginning to get his heart. Many years will go by. And Jacob will come back to this very spot. And he will wrestle with God. And Jacob will die. And Israel will be born. A man who prevailed with God and became a prince. So I want you to see this with me. Because Abraham in Genesis chapter 13 goes to Bethel and he builds an altar. And Bethel means the house of God or the gate of heaven. And Abraham went and he built an altar at a place in his heart he knew was significant. This is God's house. This is the gate of heaven. Just like Jacob, this was a place where heaven intersected earth. That's where I build my altar and that's where I call upon the name of the Lord. But not Lot. Lot's a righteous man. But I'm not going to build my life at the house of God or the gate of heaven. That's good for Abram. But as far as worldly opportunity goes and business ventures go and success in this world, Sodom offers me a lot more. And I'm not looking for sin. I'm just looking for opportunity. So that I can take care of everything that I have. And Lot does not go to the house of God and he does not go to the gate of God. And he never builds an altar. But he goes to Sodom, pitches his tent there, becomes very successful, eventually sits at the gate and becomes one of the judges of the city. 
Becomes very respectable in Sodom. Even carries somewhat of authority. But not enough to make a difference. Nobody's converted by his righteous life. Not even his wife. Not really his children. Instead of being converted, they became perverted. And not because Lot set out to do something sinful and horrible. And he was just looking for opportunity. Opportunity of wealth, opportunity of success. But not Abraham. Abraham's looking for God. Abraham's looking for God's house. He's looking for the gate of heaven. And where that world intersects this world, Abraham says, this is where I'm going to live. And I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. And I'm going to be in a relationship with him. And this God has promised to bless me with so many things. And I want to just follow with me through the rest of these scriptures. And then I'm going to just talk to you for a minute. And I want you to see this very carefully in chapter 15 of Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. And your exceeding great reward. Think about it. Second Peter chapter 2. You read this about. Lot and his way to heaven. Second Peter chapter two, verse seven. Well, just verse eight, kind of contextually, the turning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly and delivered just lot. So I want you to know lot was just. But he delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy lifestyle of the wicked. For that righteous man, he's just and he's righteous. Like many of us, just and righteous. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day. With their unlawful deeds. And praise God for verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Which means judgment. And that's what God did for Lot. He delivered him from judgment. Because he was just and he was righteous. But his family didn't make it. Dads. His family didn't make it. Moms, his family didn't make it. But Abraham's did. A man who lived in the altar. And a man who walked after God when he had an encounter with God. And God laid all these things out for him. And so I would probably say likewise for me and you. It was kind of that way. I've shared my testimony with you before. I was five years old. I stole something from the store. A little piece of gum. So I stole it from the store, five years old. Got home, in my bedroom, eating the gum. 
just celebrating the fact that I got away with it. And then while I'm eating the gum, I hear this voice. I hope that's worth hell. And I hear that voice and I'm thinking, what? And then I just heard this voice inside of me saying, you're a thief. Thieves go to hell. And I knew I was. I knew I had done wrong. And I begged God to help me. And I begged God to save me. Because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to go to fire. And I didn't want to go to torment. And I didn't want to go to punishment. And I didn't want to suffer for the rest of my life. Because I love myself. And I didn't want that for myself. And I'd heard about heaven. And I heard about a God who forgives. And I heard about this Jesus that I'd never had in my heart before. Who would forgive sinners. And he would redeem sinners. And he would... He would be able to help me. And so I didn't, that's all I knew. And I'm just this five-year-old kid in my bedroom on my face saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to help me. I'm going to go to hell as a thief if you don't do something for me. And he did. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted Jesus to save me. I wanted Jesus to rescue me. I wanted Jesus to take my sin away. I didn't want it to ever find me. I wanted to be able to go to heaven when I died. I wanted to be able to live in paradise. I wanted to be able to live in the blessings of God all of my life. That attracted me. But I grew up. And as I grew up, things began to change. And as things began to change, it was not so much anymore these things or even these blessings But it was him. It was Jesus. It was Jesus I began to want. It was Jesus that I wanted to know. And it wasn't churches and church life and things of that nature. But it was just, I want you. Because I was falling in love with him. He was doing it. He was stealing my heart, if you will. He was capturing my affections and my longings and my passions, and I wanted him. And so all of these other things, being nice as they are, there just began to come these desires in me that when I get to heaven, I want to see you. I know there's streets of gold. That must be awesome to see. And I know these angels with multiple heads and faces. And that would be kind of scary. But I want to see you. I just want to be you. I want to be with you. I long for you. And I long for you now. I just want you. And he began to just take my heart. And, and I want him to take it. And so here's God. And he comes to Abraham. And he says, I promised you all of these things. I promised you a land and I promised you a people and I promised you a blessing. But Abraham, this is what I'm after. I want to be your exceeding great reward. I want it to be me, not Isaac. Can it be me and not Isaac? And I believe it took God 25 years 
to win the heart of that man. So that when Isaac would be born and God said, go and offer your only son to me. He would do it. Because he wanted God to be his great reward. And that's what the altar means to me. And that's what God wants from us. But what is it that keeps you going? What, what is it that God has to keep dangling in front of you? The promotion. The pay raise, the healing, the ministry, everybody likes you, everybody loves you, the relationships, the friendships. What, what else do I have to do? What else do I have to do? And I think about this world today. I think about it. I think about the competition that God and Satan both have for the hearts and souls of man. And Satan promises man all of these things and all of this stuff. Give the man all of that. Just watch how more greed fills his heart. Give him a house. Give him a car. Give him a a smart TV. Give, Give him the job promotion. Give him money. He will want more. He'll want more. And the world has proven that. And man has proven that. Because there's nothing that's going to satisfy Lot or you. Other than Jesus Christ. Is he not enough? Is he not enough? Does your heart not burn for Now if you're like me. You'd probably be in an altar today praying. Oh God I don't love you the way I should. And I want you to win my whole heart. And I want you to win my whole life. Because I, I, I want to live for you, not heaven. I, I, I like heaven and I'm grateful for it. And that certainly has gotten my attention. But you've gotten my heart. And I want you. And surely the Father had the heart of Jesus. I, I've, I've shared this with you before. But oftentimes I picture this in my mind. And it kind of comes out of Hebrews 13. I've read it to you numbers of times. Jesus suffered outside the city, bearing our reproach. Because that's what he did. They stripped him naked. They beat him so badly he didn't look like a man. Blood torn from his body. Defecating on himself. Public humiliation. The man of all men. The king of all kings. The Lord of all lords. And he puts that cross on his shoulders. And he carries it through the streets of Jerusalem. Outside the city. To. His. Altar. Which would become our altar. Nobody's really around him. Nobody's in that crowd saying. Oh my Jesus. Nobody's helping him. The only thing you hear is crucified. Crucified. And I picture him as he's walking through that crowd. And the streets are lined with thousands of people. And here he is naked. Completely. Beaten and bloody. And I see two things. 
I see what must his father be like? Because this is who he's doing it for. How much he loves his father. How beautiful his father must be that he would do this for him. I want to know that father. He's got to be off the charts amazing. And then the second thing I see is Jesus carries that cross. Not beautiful, not pretty, not appealing. No beauty in him that we should desire him. And he's walking through the streets and he's carrying the cross and he just pauses and he stops and he looks at you. And he says, follow me. Come on. Strip yourself naked. Pick up your cross. And follow me in this reproach. Because you see, if we won't, then it's just all for heaven. And it's all for the next benefit. It's all for the next meal. And it's all for the next blessing. But if it's him, I'll follow you. And, and people do that every day. A woman stands in an altar with a man. And she takes his hand in marriage. And she makes promises. For better, we all like that. Are for worse. But she does it. There was a time when they meant it. And she has no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And she really doesn't know this man. That she's entrusting her whole life to. So she doesn't know what tomorrow is going to be like. And she doesn't know what he might turn out like a year from now or ten years from now. But what is she doing it for? The hope of the reward of the future. He will be good to me. He will love me. When I have good days, he will love me. When I have bad days, he will love me. When I'm healthy, he will love me. When I'm sick, he will love me. When I'm rich, he will love me. When I'm poor, he will love me. He will love me in life and he will love me in death. I hope in that from that human man and this eternal God will not fail you. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so you stand in that altar where men and women go. They go to an altar to make their vows before God. We go to this God and we say, I give you it all. I give you my heart and my life. Now, win me. Win me. Win my heart. Win my love. Win my affections. Take them. I don't want to live like Lot. You don't have to live like Abraham. You don't have to live at the house of God. You don't have to live at the gate of heaven. You don't have to go to church meetings. You don't have to go to prayer meetings. You don't have to fast. You don't have to read your Bibles. And you don't have to be happy. And your children don't have to be saved. And you don't have to be victorious. And you don't have to have joy. 
And you don't have to experience the wonderful provisions that the gate of heaven, if you will, will give you in your life. You don't have to have those things. And multitudes of righteous Christians who will go to heaven when Jesus comes to rescue them from judgment will go, but they will live vexed their whole way there. Or you can live like Abraham at the gate of God. Worshiping God, walking with God, living with God. Oh, but I want riches and I want wealth. Abraham was more wealthy than Lot. But his wealth came from God. And Lot's wealth came from Sodom. And I say to you, if you want true blessings in your life, let your wealth come from God. And don't pursue worldly opportunities, but pursue God. And don't pursue what this world can offer you, because I promise you, it will crush you as soon as it blesses you. And whatever it gives you, it will take double back from you. But every good gift comes from above, and it will not rob you. God will not hurt you. He will bless you, and He will enrich you. And if you're intent to live like Lot, then have a relationship with a church that lives like Abraham. Because there'll be a time when you are overcome by your enemies and you'll need a church to rush in there through intercession and prayer and get you out of that trouble. Or like Sodom, when judgment's about to come and God first goes to Abraham to say what's going to happen and God intercedes for his nephew Lot to be spared. And God hears it. Be among a people of intercession and prayer and worship God and become one of those people. Live the life of a man blessed of God and everybody can see it. But I say this in closing. God has attracted you with the invitation to live and not die. He's attracted you by that. He's attracted you with the invitation of heaven and not hell. But he wants to come to a point in your life when he can say to you, I want to be your exceedingly great reward. And you respond, oh God, that is everything to me. To have you is to have it all. And if there's a heaven without you in it, there is no heaven. Because you're it. You're everything. I want you to stand with me. And I just want you, if you will, to just take a moment and just examine your heart. Listen, guys, I I told you my heart was just hard-pressed today. And I don't understand it. But I have given to you in sincerity and humility what I believe God has given me to say to us today. I guess the sum of it is that God just wants your heart. He just wants your heart. He will bless you. He will give you what the world can't give you. He'll give you wealth and he'll keep your kids. He'll give you life. He'll give you rewards. But the world, it won't. It'll take it from you as fast as it gives it to you. The stress, sicknesses, the hardship, the sleepless nights, the worry, the fear. 
That's what Sodom will do for you. You're not looking for sin. You're looking for opportunity. God is your exceedingly great reward. Make Him that today. Now ask Him this as you come into an altar or make an altar where you are. And I know this is a very sober day, very sober service. And that's good. It's good. As you make an altar where you are, ask the Lord to perfect in you the work that He started. He's not going to take heaven away because He wasn't toying with you or deceiving you. He's not going to take blessings away. But He's going to come to you in such a way that He is much more beautiful than those streets of gold. He is much more amazing than anything you will ever see. You should not wait for the world to give you up. You should give up this world. And the way that you give up this world is by believing in the other world, setting your affections on things above. There is no trouble giving up the world when we have gained Jesus. No trouble. Forgive us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and give us Jesus. And I thank you for the soberness of this moment gentleness of your spirit the mercy by which you're moving our hearts are tender and many of us are fragile and you haven't come to break us you haven't come to destroy us but to gently let us know that you love us and your desire is for us and our desire is for you so in this altar And in this worship, we come to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Be your people indeed. Love you indeed to be enriched.